Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh dropped by downtown Toronto last Saturday. There was plenty of media following Singh, including our very own Mocha Bezregan. But get this, Mocha was informed both by Singh's handler and an RCMP officer that he was forbidden to ask questions. The reason? This is apparently NDP policy. Huh? Mocha will join me to try and make sense of it all. And Tamara Ugolini will weigh in on the perplexing case of Rob Primo. Mr. Primo likes to help the homeless and he likes to take part in protests against the debilitating lockdowns. But get this. For his activism, he now faces summonses that could total $800,000 plus one year in jail. Tamara has all the unbelievable details and letters. We get your letters. We get them every minute of every day. And you had plenty to say about my visit to Liberal MP Majid Johari at his meet and greet event in Richmond Hill, Ontario last Saturday. Spoiler alert, Johari, who actually supports the Iranian regime, called the cops even though I was merely standing on a public sidewalk practicing journalism. Uh, gee, folks, do you think maybe Mr. Johari was confusing the greater Toronto area with the greater Tehran area? Incredible. Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. On August 21st, I went to an event in downtown Toronto where NDP's Jagmeet Singh was going to make an announcement. I made my way upstairs with other journalists, but I was told this by Jagmeet's press secretary. Hello, and this is Melanie, who's the press Hi secretary. There. Hi there. Who, um, I'm Mocha Bezergan with Rebel News. With Rebel oh, News? Yes. I live... not, we're not going to answer questions for Rebel News. Why? Because we don't. That's our policy. We don't answer questions for Rebel News. But I live in the neighborhood, and his policies are going to affect me. You and I wanted to come and to ask a here, question. You're welcome to stay here, but you're not going to ask a question. I'm welcome to stay here? Yeah, but you're not going to ask a question. So I'm not going to be allowed to line up for a question? Since I'm not allowed to line up and ask a question, but allowed to be there, I decided to hang around and wait until Jagmeet finished his announcements, took his selfies, and recorded his TikToks. I was wondering what's the meaning of coercion in Mr. Singh's book. And my question was based on this statistic from Statistics Canada, indicating that visible minorities happen to have a much higher hesitancy towards COVID-19 vaccine compared to non-visible minorities. Since none of the provinces in Canada ask people who are getting vaccinated their ethnicity, our only guidance is this statistic that asked Canadians how willing are they to get vaccinated against COVID-19. The data indicates that while 77.7% .7 of whites were very or somewhat willing to get the vaccine, only 56.4% of blacks and 65.6% .6 of Latin Americans were very or somewhat willing to get the vaccine much lower than whites. Also, what's worth noting is that the South Asian population had a much higher willingness to get vaccinated. As you know, Jagmeet demanded from Justin Trudeau a mandatory vaccination deadline for federal public servants and workers in federally regulated industries by Labor Day and asked for real deadlines for vaccine passports. But wait a second, who is going to be enforcing the vaccine passport? It's going to be the same police who choked Alex Baus for not wearing a mask. 
It's going to be the very institution that has been accused of disproportionately affecting minorities. But that's not going to be the case when the members of that very same institution starts going table to table checking for people's vaccination status, just like in France, right? Isn't this the same Jack Mead? that literally a year ago demanded from all parties in the House of Commons to, quote, that the House recognize that there is systemic racism in the RCMP as several indigenous people have died at the hands of the RCMP in recent months. So what happened? The RCMP has no systemic racism anymore? He himself called the MP who opposed this motion a racist. It's true. I called him a racist. And I believe that's so. Excuse to apologize uh, with respect to what he just said, I will not. And was removed from the House of Commons for refusing to apologize. Okay, so I attempted to ask him this question, but guess who came to his rescue for my question? Did you see that? A federal police officer ordering me to sit down as if I'm his dog. Mr. Singh. Visible minorities have a much um, lower um, rate of getting vaccinated. Are you going to convince them or are you going to coerce them? I wasn't expecting that. I felt stressed. I was gambling with an RCMP officer by not obeying his order. Isn't vaccine passport a form of systemic racism? We'll, we'll convince them. You will convince them? Are you an RCMP officer? Um, yes. Okay, um, I was told that I'm welcome to stay here. Yeah, and you were also told you're not allowed to ask a question. I, the... That's why I didn't line up. What do you, yeah. So you, so okay, if Okay, we're done here. Oh, you might be done with me, but I'm not done with you. <laughs> Can I get your name and badge number, please? Can I get your name and badge number? Okay, with a little bit of wind, too. Wow, what an incredible video, and there is really so much to unpack here. And folks, I urge you to watch the entire report. In the meantime, I'm now joined by Mocha Bezregan, who is currently in the far north, and he is going to try to make sense, I hope, of what happened last Saturday in downtown Toronto. Well, first of all, Mocha, welcome to Rebel Roundup. Well, good to be here. Fantastic. I'm in the Yukon. <laughs> well, that is indeed the far north. Now, Mocha, the most fascinating mm -hmm. thing I noted in your video was this NDP flack stating to you that it is so-called policy not to take questions from rebel news reporters. But as with any policy, Mocha, there are human beings who write the policy. So the question mm -hmm. arises, what is the ostensible policy reason for the NDB to give you the silent treatment in the first place. Yeah, when they told me that it's their policy not to take questions from the rebel, I said, why? And they said, well, because it's our policy, because we said so, basically. Just imagine if they were to be elected, what would they do if they impose nonsensical policies on us that restrict our freedoms and rights? And you would be like, okay, but why? And they would be like, 
oh, because we said so. It's our policy. Yeah, you know, I, I'm 100% with you. I mean, and, and I take it a step further, Mocha, because um, I, I recall two years ago, Key and Bexy at the parliamentary debate, uh, he got a chance to ask uh, Jagmeet Singh two questions, and in both both answers to his questions were, I don't talk to uh, rebel media. So here's the thing. If there was some kind of cosmic fluke and the NDP <laughs> did form the government, um, what does it say about Jagmeet Singh's character and, and his um, courage that if he won't take questions from the likes of Mocha and Kian at Rebel News, um, how... What kind of confidence do Canadians have for him to deal with some of the very worst reprehensible regimes out there? You know, kind of like the Taliban in Afghanistan right now? Yeah, they have the same confidence that they have in Justin Trudeau because they're basically the same. But at least NDP didn't right away trespass me. They let me be there, you know, as opposed to liberals who trespassed me right away. And that's just not right. No, it's not right. And I mean, not only were you a journalist uh, covering this uh, Jagmeet Singh presser, uh, Mocha, but that was that territory is within the writing in which you reside. So you're a constituent. Mm -hmm. You have every right to be there to question somebody mm -hmm. who is running for federal office. Um, why do they seem so hesitant? to give you the opportunity to ask questions, is it because your questions, like other Rebel News reporter questions, they're not gonna be the super polite uh, type that the mainstream media gives these politicians? Exactly, and my question was, given the fact that there's a large vaccine hesitancy among minorities, especially blacks, wouldn't be systemic racism to allow police going around and asking for people's um, vaccination status, just like they do in France. In France, and Jagmeet Singh said, uh, Jagmeet always accuses of RCMP of um, having systemic racism, yes. but he has no problem mobilizing the RCMP against me, blocking me from asking a question to him. And, and it, that was a very interesting question too, Mok, and I'm glad you asked it. And when he was in full retreat mode, um, he did say, uh, we will convince them, I believe, uh, was the quote. Mm -hmm. But as you go on in your video, is it convince them or coerce them? You see, Mocha, I see that phrase, we will convince them. It reminds me of that old line of dialogue from The Godfather, make him an offer he can't refuse, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. which, is, <laughs> which is not an amenable offer, to say the mm -hmm. least. So... Um, do you think that's really what he's saying? There's going to be some kind of coercion, i.e. you get the jab or you lose your job? Well, in his book, maybe that's what it means to convince people. But in the um, book of Oxford Book of Dictionary, it means coercion. If you, if you don't take the jab or you'll get fired, it's coercion. Let's not sugarcoat it. Let's be honest about it. The government doesn't ask. The government doesn't convince. The government forces. The government takes. The government is enforcement. The government is power. The government is coercion. We shouldn't sugarcoat it. Let's be honest about it. He should just say it. You know, yeah, we're going to uh, fire people who don't take the vaccine. He says, oh, we're going to give them ample opportunities. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, it, 
<laughs> yeah, what, what, what does ample opportunity mean, uh, Mocha? 30 days and uh, you're out if you don't get the jobs. I mean, the devil, as always, is in the details. But the other part of the story I want to unpack is that RCMP officer, which I have to tell you, my friend, by the end of the video, I was actually feeling sorry for him. He seemed so he seemed like a real life Dudley do right from the Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons. Um, what I don't understand is that he's obviously a veteran officer. How was it he was so reluctant to give you his name and badge number? Well, because he, I think, realized what he did and what he said that how awful it sounded and that uh, I think he didn't expect me to push back and question him and you know start going after him he's like oh we're done here and I'm like okay well I'm not done with you you need to give me your badge number and name you engage with me and he walks away and quietly says I didn't engage with you well you did you told me you ordered me to sit down you told me that I'm not allowed to ask a question just give me your badge number and name or like he doesn't even have a badge or anything I didn't even know that. I mean, I, I suspected of him being an RCMP officer, but there's no way of um, knowing. He, he's wearing a mask. He's like uh, a secret individual. I, in fact, in the comment section in the video, people say, oh, come on, that's not a real RCMP officer. That can't be. You know, and, and, and the irony is perverse, isn't it, Mocha, that uh, Jugmeet Singh, who calls the uh, RCMP a racist organization, essentially, uh, he kind of um, drops that stance when it comes to his own personal protection. So uh, mm -hmm. just amazing. One last question, my friend. I think you bring a unique perspective to these types of videos, Mocha. And what I'm trying to say mm -hmm. is that if our audience doesn't know that, you're originally from Turkey. You know what it's like to live in a regime where there is limited freedom of the press. You know what it's like mm -hmm. to live in a regime where um, police brutality is not so mm -hmm. uncommon. And mm -hmm. let me tell you, let me ask you, Mocha, do you see a little bit of the bad elements of Turkey coming over to Canada now in 2021 with the way uh, some of us are being treated? Well, what I see coming here in Canada is the new Bill C-10 and Bill C-36 and these are like the censorship laws that are going to be enforced by the government on the internet. And they are very similar to what we have in Turkey. Um, they introduced them as to, you know, ban pornography and um, perverted websites. And then what happened, they expanded to um, news companies, news website, calling them, you know, misinformation or foreign funded or, you know, ter uh, terrorist sympathizers. And um, when a terror attack, for example, happens in Turkey, the government, the courts, they completely shut down the Internet. <laughs> and what they do is um, anyone who publishes the pictures or videos of what happened, they might get in trouble with the police. And um, what else happens? Well, yeah, the independent news organizations there, because there's a ban on it, they can't report on it. They say something happened in Sultan Ahmed, but they don't say it. a bomb has been exploded in Sultan Ahmed. They say something happened, but they can't say it. It's very ironic and um, it's all secrecy. And it's a very, very tiring place to live. If you have a couple more brain cells and if you're living in Turkey, you, the oppression, the um, 
the stress is not coming from only the government, but people around you as well, the society, um, the education system there, the, the brainwashing. It's very stressful and um, it's a dictatorship by the people, um, chosen by the people with vote, with democracy. So, you know, the people are, it's not, the, the only problem is not the government, but it's also the people themselves. A hundred percent. Well, Mocha, we're going to have to wrap it there. It sounds like hell or in the eyes of uh, Justin Trudeau, a utopia because he wants absolutely, I'm convinced, that kind of control here in our great dominion of Canada. And we have to stand up to that moving forward. That was an excellent report, Mocha. You stay safe, my Thank friend. Thank you. Take care. Bye. You got it. And that was our one and only Mocha in the Yukon, I believe, Whitehorse, uh, on a very special assignment. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. So Rob Primorano, our latest Fight the Fines case, also known as Rob Primo, you have stepped into what was maybe a potential leadership role in the freedom fighting movement in Niagara, the Niagara Falls region. Rob, do you want to give us a, a brief summary of what made you want to step up into, you know, this leadership role with these protests and things that were happening in your area? And then, you know, how did you end up as one of our fight the fines cases? Yeah, so basically, Tamara, uh, I really felt the need to step up uh, in our region when I've seen uh, friends like uh, Alicia Herter um, doing her part uh, fighting this fight. And uh, I really seen the backlash that she started to take in the community. And uh, she's a wonderful lady. And this is someone that I usually know from attending uh, human trafficking um, events and doing activism in that department with her. And uh, the media really just made her out to be someone that she's not at all. And uh, I started talking to her about it and I started seeing uh, photos of her in our local newspapers and uh, journalism, uh, journalists, journalists, sorry, around here, just covering uh, what was going on and just really drug through the mud. And uh, she finally had a rally in St. Catharines and uh, over a thousand people showed up and um, at that point, uh, I seen some momentum here in Niagara, and I seen a lot of people that were upset. Um, I seen every day, you know, you go to Tim Hortons and you see how much this has affected the homeless community, uh, people with addictions, and it's just something I wasn't able to uh, walk past and ignore. Right, you didn't want to stay silent any longer, and. Just a little bit of background of you as well, because I'm glad you brought up the homeless uh, community. You were you did a lot of outreach, volunteer work prior to the pandemic, and you know once you started to speak out about some of the injustices that you saw happening in your community, what happened? Well, what happened actually is uh, the first, you know, people get really upset about these anti-lockdown protests, and uh, the first uh, one that I went to. Uh, somebody captured an image of me there, and uh, the first thing they did was they contacted a grassroots group in Welland here that uh, I volunteered with a couple times a week, and uh, they let them know that I was at this anti-lockdown uh, protest, and I didn't have a mask on, uh, which put these people in a very difficult uh, position because, you know, um, most of society sees everyone wearing a mask now, and you're kind of considered 
someone who doesn't care if you're not wearing a mask. So essentially uh, what they did was someone brought a complaint forward, just a regular person from the community. And uh, that ended up making it so I wasn't able to help out with this group anymore. So I ended up hitting the streets independently and uh, I've been doing my volunteer work that I enjoy doing just by myself now. Ah, but wait, there's more folks because as Rob Primo continued to protest against the lockdowns, in the process, he was slapped with eight different summonses and if found guilty, each summons holds a maximum penalty of $100,000 plus up to a year in prison, all for exercising his opposition to policies whose harm he has witnessed with his own eyes. Absolutely incredible. And joining me now for more on this story is Tamara Ugolini. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Tamara. Thank you once again, David. Always a pleasure, Seems to my be friend. Our, our weekly uh, risk correspondence here at Rebel Roundup. Oh, I wish it were daily. <laughs> but <laughs> Tamara, the first thing that comes to mind here is how upside down Canada is when it comes to the government deeming who is heroic and who is hellish. Rob personally helps the homeless get through these difficult times and he faces almost a million dollars in fines and plus a year in the slammer. Yet our own homegrown Al-Qaeda terrorist Omar Khadr, who hates our country and its values and is a self-confessed murderer, well, he gets a taxpayer-funded jackpot of $10.5 for hurt feelings, plus invitations to come on CBC shows and speak at universities. Tamara, are we residing on the bizarro Superman planet right now? You know, where up is down and yes is no. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth, David. I was about to say, just look at the bizarro world. I mean, <laughs> like, it, it, it's opposites day almost every day, it seems. And I've said it before, and I keep saying it, that every day I think, okay, it can't get any crazier. It can't get any worse. And then tomorrow comes. And then I meet someone like Rob Primo, who, you know, he's he's just such an honest, wholesome guy who was seeing the injustices himself, like you mentioned before with the homeless community. And I also want to clarify that these eight summonses, each one comes with up to one year of imprisonment. So if he's found guilty of all eight, he could face eight years of jail time for simply advocating for people who maybe can't advocate for themselves. And like he says in the video as well, for standing up for the world and the future that he wants for his daughter. Unbelievable. I didn't know that these were uh, consecutive versus con uh, concurrent uh, prison sentences. Mm -hmm. So that makes it even more egregious. Um, you know, perhaps it's none of our business, but uh, does Mr. Primo have that kind of dough in his bank account? From what I gathered from him, no. And even if he did, he has a child. I mean, this is money. And like I had the William and Kim fight the fines a few weeks back. They have five children. I mean, even if people have the money to be able to pay these tickets, that money is so much better spent in other areas, especially as people, again, like I'll quote back to William and Kim, are moving to get out of this oppressive regime that we're living under um, and, and hopefully start a better new free life for their family. And so, yeah, Rob Primo, he doesn't seem, you know, he gives anything that he has extra to that community that he provides outreach and volunteer work for. He's not prepared to take on fines of this magnitude.
Well, welcome to Canada in 2021, where no good deed goes unpunished, eh, Tamara? Tell me, um, <laughs> what is it, uh, how, how do our legal eagles uh, look upon the kind of penalties uh, Mr. Primo has received? Well, I, I interviewed Jenna Little very briefly for Rob's case. And, you know, a big thing about what we're dealing with with our Fight the Fines initiative is that we actually have the Crown researching and watching our videos to build their case. And so we have to be very careful with what we say about these Fight the Fines cases and how far we go in terms of strategy and letting our viewers know. So it's a really fine line, I think, that the the lawyers have to and the um, uh, paralegals have to take when they're interviewing, when we're interviewing them, because we know that they're watching and they're trying to strategize based on what we say here, which is pretty surreal when you think about it. You know, but uh, Tamara, it, it just doesn't make sense to me in the hypocrisy of the so-called narrative that science is driving the policy. Uh, you march in an anti-lockdown protest, well, you're the son of Satan, uh, but if you took part, say, last summer in a Black Lives Matter protest, far bigger protests, I might add. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, that's okay. Uh, the Wuhan virus has a social conscience. It would never infect those social justice warriors. I, I mean, I, I, I'm being a little facetious here, but I can't connect the dots here, Tamara, if we're going strictly by the so-called science. Yeah, it's hard. It's definitely hard to connect the dots. And uh, when we lay them all out, you try to build and, and make it make sense and you can just drive yourself crazy. And the thing that really gets me about this, especially the homeless community, is that these, you know, they're notorious for not having access to um, sanitization, like hand sanitizer, not washing their hands. I mean, a lot of people struggling with addiction, they're not being very conscious of who they're interacting with and how. And so why hasn't that community been wiped out completely if there was a, a vicious, vir virulent um, pandemic, then you would think those would be the first, that would be the first population to go. And Rob was seeing exact opposite. They weren't getting sick and dying, but they were being harmed by the government response to an alleged viral pandemic. Jeez, unbelievable. Well, you know, Tamara, we're going to have to keep our eyes on this case for sure as it uh, mm -hmm. progresses. Uh, I mean, to me, this is, uh, you know, the government using a, a sledgehammer to kill a flea uh, in terms of the severity of the penalty. Um, it, it's just so egregious. It's so unfair. This is a good hearted man to see him being treated like this. It must be so hard on him and stressful. And I'm glad we are helping him. And, and of course, if anyone wants to help us uh, recover our legal fees. Jenna does an incredible job. Um, please, if uh, you can go, folks, to fightthefines.com, that'd be greatly appreciated. One last thing before you go, because I have a personal interest. Coburg, Ontario, is the fence still up blocking the beach, or is it down, or is it partially open? <laughs> <laughs> I think the fence is part of the new normal, David. Uh, it's 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 still there. The fence is alive and well, taxpayer funded, of course. Um, and I believe the consensus is to keep it until the fall, sometime in the fall, um, so that if, like I stated before, if there is an emergency, they can swiftly shutter those gates and no more beach play allowed. 
Unbelievable. Who thought that Stalag 17 was located in Coburg, Ontario? Tamara, thank you so much. Great video. Hope to see you again. Thanks, David. Take care. You got it. And that was Tamara Ugolini in Coburg, Ontario. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Please wait. Even liberals have denounced you, uh, Mr. Johari. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Can you find okay. a way? You are associated with someone who is under investigation by CSIS who has contributed to your campaign. What do you have to say about that? I've responded to that question already. Oh, okay. Can you respond right now, sir? Um, I, that was in a social gathering and that funds has been banned. When was that picture taken? Hey, David. Hey, how you doing, officer? How are you? Good. Are you here for me? We've been calling for something. <laughs> okay. Okay. Then Stop. Why are you walking Stop. so close to me? Stop. Because you're in my you're in my area. Okay. Well, you told me to come outside and I acquiesced to your demand, Mr. Johari. I've answered all your questions. It's better that you stop. Maybe this is a case for a detective or something to look into. I mean, you're telling me CSIS is investigating. I think it's above our pay scale. Okay. <laughs> okay then. How you doing, sir? Uh, David Menzies with Rebel News. I'd like to um, talk to you. Do you realize this is a private private? Oh, property? I got an email saying everybody was welcome. Yeah, but um, not in the building. It could be outside. Oh, okay then. What are your uh, links to Al Azira on Aggie? Can you can you find me wait outside? Sir, why do you um, support the Islamo-fascist regime of, of Iran as opposed to Canada? You've asked me that question a number of times, and I've told you I don't. Please wait. Even now. liberals have denounced you, uh, Mr. Johari. David Menzies for Rebel News here in Richmond Hill, Ontario. Well, folks, I'm at the meet and greet for Majid Johari. He is the member of parliament for the riding of Richmond Hill. And uh, he is someone who has, well, let's say he has more baggage than the arrivals uh, terminal of uh, Pearson International Airport. Um, Mr. Johari is on the record in his own words as supporting the Iranian regime. Uh, Mr. Johari um, has some connections with people that are under CSIS investigations, one of whom, by the way, is a contributor to Mr. Johari's uh, campaign. And it is very curious and it's very disturbing how someone in our great dominion of Canada is actually a supporter of the Islamo-fascist regime that is Iran. Richmond Hill has a significant Iranian population. Many of those people denounce uh, Mr. Johari. Even liberals have denounced Mr. Johari. And uh, I thought I would drop by to ask him some questions. He usually gets tongue-tied uh, when I come up to him uh, at other events. And uh, this is a very important writing indeed. In 2019, uh, Mr. Johari won it by 112 votes over the conservative Costas Minigakis. So um, this is certainly a writing that is in play for the upcoming September 20th election. I'll go into the um, facility and uh, see if uh, Mr. Johari wants to give me some answers to some tough questions. 
I don't know what you're talking about. Can you find okay. a way that you are associated with someone who is under investigation by CSIS who has contributed to your campaign? What do you have to say about that? I've responded to that question already. Oh, okay. Can you respond right now, sir? Um, I, that was in a social gathering, and that fund has been banned. When was that picture taken? Mr. Johari, why have liberals themselves denounced you? Well, folks, that was a synopsis of my brief visit to a Majid Johari meet and greet last Saturday in Richmond Hill. Once again, the Iranian regime supporter Johari refused to supply tangible answers to tough questions. I was eventually told to leave, which I did. But when I continued reporting from the sidewalk, either Johari or one of his minions called the cops. And sure enough, four York Regional Police cruisers responded. In any event, you had plenty to say about the Liberal Party's Persian Pinocchio. Steve Blaw writes, wow, no real answers here. Whatever happened to debate? Isn't that what politicians are supposed to do? Well, you are correct, Steve. Show me a politician who cannot explain his position and I'll show you a failed politician. My theory regarding Johari, the positions he has taken regarding the Iranian regime and his association with questionable characters is downright indefensible. Salui Kwaput writes, thank God you guys are doing real reporting. <clears throat> well, thank you, Salui. You know, there is actually a newspaper that covers this city, the tragically named Richmond Hill Liberal. They don't ask tough questions, but rather cover for Johari. Then again, the Liberal is owned by the same company that owns the Toronto Star. So really, what do you expect? In the meantime, if you can help us bring the other side of the story to everyone, please go to realreporters.ca, and if you're able to, folks, kindly make a donation. John Lawler writes, the cops handled this wonderfully. Indeed, they did, John. I always give credit where it is due, and they essentially informed Mr. Johari and his minions that the practice of journalism in a public place is completely legal, given that I was on a public sidewalk in Toronto, as opposed to, you know, Tehran. Rick Mars writes, I may not always agree with Rebel News, but I will never vote for any politician that restricts theirs or anyone else's right to practice journalism. Well, thank you for that, Rick, sincerely. And if these liberals do get back into power, we should all be very concerned about their proposed internet censorship bills. The Liberal Party of Canada might be all about diversity, but they have a very big problem when it comes to diversity of opinions. Donald Campbell writes, when does Omar $10 million Cotter get his big chance to run for Big Trudy? Well, actually, Donald, our homegrown Al-Qaeda terrorist received $10.5 million. But hey, what's half a mil when it comes to these liberals, right? But I wouldn't put it past these cats to recruit little Omar as a future liberal candidate. Disturbingly, the liberals have a soft spot for terrorists and terrorism for reasons that are really beyond me aside from Omar's taxpayer-funded jackpot for hurt feelings, consider these odious examples of liberals getting cozy with terrorism. For example, during his disastrous India trip, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau invites along Jaspal Atwal, who is a member of an illegal Sikh separatist group that was convicted of attempted murder. Then there's Mark Garneau suggesting last week that it is possible Canada might recognize the Taliban as the new government of Afghanistan. And just a couple of days ago, the Minister for Women and Gender 
Equality, a.k.a. Maria Monsef of No Fixed Address. She referred to the butchers and barbarians that make up the Taliban as brothers. <laughs> oh, brother, indeed. And finally, Eric Olmsted writes, Aren't there enough smart Richmond Hill voters to get rid of this clown? Well, you know, Eric, in the 2019 election, the conservative candidate for this writing, Costas Minigakis, he went to bed as the winner, and then he woke up to find out them, that when all the mail-in ballots had been counted, Johari had won by 0.2%. Uh, hmm, where have we heard that scenario before? But in 2021, the good people of Richmond Hill do indeed have a choice to make. Do you want to reelect a candidate who supports the largest state sponsor of terrorism in the world today? Or do you want someone in office who supports democracy and Western values? This is surely going to be a writing to watch come September 20th. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.